I'm glad you're here at Remedy this morning. Uh, glad you've chosen to come and celebrate Christ's resurrection with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you gave your son. And though he was dead, he was raised. He is alive. And not only that, Father, he reigns. He is king over everything, over politics, over cancer cells, over everything in this world. He rules and reigns. There's not one thing on earth that is not fully under his submission. And that includes us. So would you be with us this morning? Would you not only be with us, but every church in America and all over the world that this morning will gather together and preach this gospel, this good news. You've promised us, Father, that under the preaching of your word, you will save people. And so we ask for that this morning here at Remedy, but everywhere, Lord, every church that's preaching the gospel. Would you send salvation? Would you save souls? We love you, Father. We ask that you would do this for your glory and for your son's precious name. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The name of the sermon today that we're going to be looking at is called Made Alive. We, uh, we said on Good Friday when we had our Good Friday service that it was made sin and this is made alive. And those, those really two things go together in the central verse that kind of unites this whole idea of made sin, which is Christ who was made sin for us on our behalf and that we are now made alive because he's been made alive is Second Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. So Christ was made to be sin who knew no sin. Christ was perfect. He had never sinned before and never did sin. And he was made to be sin so that in him, that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That all the righteousness that God had, all the righteousness that Christ earned because he never sinned on earth, was given to us because he was made alive. We are therefore spiritually made alive. And that's what we're here to celebrate and gather around this morning, I have one firm belief that I want to communicate with you this morning. One firm belief, and that is this, that Jesus wants you to put your faith in him today for the forgiveness of your sin. That is my firm belief. Jesus desperately wants you to put your faith in him today for the forgiveness of of your sin. And I say that based on fact. And I'm going to tell you some of the things that Jesus went through, not just in his whole life, but really specifically, he, what are some of the things that Jesus went through to make it possible that you and I can receive forgiveness of our sin today? What are some of the things that he went through? I want to explain the good news of the gospel of Jesus to you in the most clear possible way I can this morning. And I want it to also be one of the deepest things, most profound things you've ever heard in your life. This isn't just a sermon for 
people that don't know Christ, not yet Christians, but this is also a sermon for people that are Christians, to be reminded of this good news and to put their faith in Christ continually and be amazingly thankful for what He's done for them. But first, there is a problem. There's a problem for those that don't know Christ. And that problem is sin. It's a a gross terrible thing sin our inclination is our our first inclination is as people that are born as sons and daughters of adam and eve is to just neglect the sin to kind of turn out the light walk away from it and act like the sin doesn't happen act like the sin doesn't exist but we all know that this is completely impossible that we can't neglect it we can't turn away from it and act like this Sin problem doesn't exist. Here's what I mean. Um, just as a, uh, as by means of illustration, um, and I know this is a little bit kind of on the gross side, but this, this sin is gross. Um, <laughs> my children throw up all the time. It just amazes me. Even this morning, one of the four throw, threw up. And it's just, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's like they're born pukers. Um, they do it continually all the time and in the worst part is that usually it's while they're asleep and it's while they're in their bed they just puke right into their pillow or right into their and so my first inclination is when i realize that when i check on them at night and i and the the wafts of puke just radiate into me that my first inclination is just to close the door act like it doesn't exist kind of walk off and just pray lord maybe christy will find this and i can get away with it that's my first inclination almost every single time. Um, a little confession, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I was like, uh-huh, I knew it. Um, whether I like it or not, though, here's the truth. Puke is in their bed. It's in their hair. It's in their pillow. It's on their face. And I have to clean it up. Like, I have to. I can't just leave them in there. My first inclination is to not deal with it. And this is the case with all of us with our sin. You can't act like it's not there. You have to deal with it. You can't just close the door and pretend that it's just going to go away. Now here's the important distinction I want to make. We can clean ourselves up physically. I can clean my children up physically. When something like this happens, I can erase the grossness and give them a shower and bathe them and wash the stuff. I can do that. We can clean ourselves up physically, but none of us can clean ourselves up spiritually. And that's the big distinction. We have to deal with it. We can't close the door and act like it doesn't exist. But the problem is, is that none of us can clean ourselves up. It has to be done by somebody else. The responsibility of being clean falls on you. The ability to clean yourself is completely out of your grasp. God has to do something for you. And this is how great the news is. God has done Something for you. Though you don't have the ability, God does have the ability and He has done it for you. 
you and I need someone to come and solve this dilemma for us on our behalf. And the only one that can do it is God. And the great news is that he has done it. God has moved on our behalf for us by sending his son for us to take care of this problem of sin for us. Namely, by putting forward his son and letting him be the one who would take on all the sin and all the punishment for us. He did it by putting his own son forward. Literally, Christ is the only answer we have. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our only hope is Christ. Acts 14. I'm sorry, Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only answer for salvation. And how is he the only answer? Specifically, he's the only answer because he is the one that took our place for us on the cross. Now, here's the thing. This is Easter. And Easter is centered around the resurrection. And so... I want to today, um, in this Easter sermon, we're going to get to the resurrection because it would not be an Easter sermon if we didn't. But we're going to talk a little bit about Friday and Saturday. Some of the things that he went through. And this is why we need to do that is because I made this strong assertion at the very beginning where I said, Jesus wants you, if you do not know him, Jesus wants you to put your faith in him today for the forgiveness of the sins. That's a strong statement. How can I say that? Because I want to tell you some of the things that he actually went through in order to make it possible that you can receive forgiveness of sins. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the things that he did on Friday and Saturday. And what are some of the things that he went through in order that you can be forgiven of your sin? And then we're going to talk about the resurrection, the glorious resurrection, the fact that he was raised from the dead and how that um, speaks to the fact that we can receive forgiveness because of the cross and what it means for believers today as well. What are some of the things that what are the implications of the fact that not only um, did he die for us, but that he was raised? And how does that apply to the life of believers as well? We're going to talk about that just for a second. But first of all, I want to talk about some of the things that Christ actually went through before we get to this glorious great news of the resurrection. Now, here's the thing. If you're in Christ, these things might be things you're familiar with. But let these things, these true things about some of the things that Jesus went through in order that you can be forgiven now. Let some of these things kind of wash over you afresh and just amaze you again and stir up these deep affections that we should have for him in the gospel. So that whenever we walk out of here, we're just re-amazed at his great love for us. And those of you that don't know Christ, listen to these things that he's done for you and listen to the... All the things that he's gone through for you so that you can this morning put your faith in him. This morning you can be forgiven eternally for all of your sins. These are some of the things and these are very heavy truths. I can't I can't define them any other way. Four things that Christ has done for us. Four ways he took our place for us on the cross. The first one is literally he took our physical pain for us in our death. This is the first thing he did. He took the physical pain and death that was due for us. It was literally excruciating pain. This word excruciating was actually created 
just to talk about the cross. It means, excruciating means, out of the cross. Whenever the disciples were talking about the pain that Jesus actually went through, they had no words for it. And so they said, we have to have a word. Out of the cross pain. Excruciating pain. And this is, this is what he went through. This word is a first century word that means out of the cross. And that describing the pain that he went through. He was completely innocent. He had never sinned. And he went and took our place and received all of the physical pain and the death for us on our behalf. These are just some of the things that he actually went through. Some of the physical things. Now, his death was not only physical. His payment on the cross was not just physical. There are other things. And that's why I said this first. This is really some of the smallest things that he went through. But this is first. Matthew twenty six sixty seven. They spit on him and they hit him and they slapped him. John 19, 1 says that they flogged him. This is a severe beating. Matthew 27, 26 says they scourged him. Scourged means that a tormentor, a trained tormentor, took a whip and literally whipped him over and over so that his back was just exposed down to the bone. Another thing, Matthew 27, 29, they twisted together a crown of thorns and shoved it into his head. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 15, 19, they struck him with a reed. And they spit on him as they did this. Um, another, Mark fifteen nineteen. Uh, I'm sorry, Luke twenty two sixty three. They blindfolded him and then they beat him. And as they beat him, they said, prophesy, say who hit you. Tell us who's the one that hit you if you're God. So they're mocking him as they're doing it. Matthew, Matthew 27, 35, Mark 15, Luke 23 and John 19 all said, and there they crucified him. They made him, after they had beaten him so bad, carry his own cross up to a hill. They nailed him to it. Nailed him to it. Nailed his feet, nailed his hands, and with his ripped up back, set him up there, and he has to rub his ripped up back up and down the wood to push himself up just so that he can breathe. He went through all this. Now, here's the thing. He did not run away from this. But he dealt with our sin problem for us, Jesus desperately wants you to be forgiven today because he was willing to endure all this for you. Now, that's just the first one. He took our place, our physical pain and death. The second thing is, is that he took our place by bearing our sin for us. Another way to think about is more awful. This is more awful than the physical part, which is actually by the disciples, not one of the bigger things, one of the gospel writers, not one of the most important things of the gospels as they give this last account. Very little said about the physical pain, but even more so, these next three are even more kind of um, carry more weight. Not only did he go through the physical suffering so that you can believe in him right now for the forgiveness of your sins. But also, he took on the psychological pain of bearing the guilt for sin. We have to realize we're talking about a perfect man who was never acquainted with sin. Never ever had there been a time where sin had been in his life. We can know the anguish of feeling sin to some degree in our own lives. We, we've experienced this. Every single one of us. Every single one of us have felt the anguish of of sin in our life. We felt the guilt of sin in our hearts whenever we've committed sin against someone. And that, that can be terrible. Whenever we have sinned and we're guilty. Now, 
all of the weight of sin on an innocent man was put on him. And so he felt the anguish in the midst of all this physical pain. He began feeling the anguish of bearing sin on him. You can imagine the revulsion that Jesus must have had to sin literally being put on him. As Second Corinthians says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So you can feel the anguish that he must have had, the revulsion, the very real sense of absolute hatred of the thing that was actually being put on him, feeling this is not as it ought to be. I'm not supposed to have sin put on me. He hated sin with his entire being. The thought of evil or sin contradicted everything in his character. Everything in his character. But yet, not only the physical pain, but the sin was put on him. Far more than us, Jesus always, always instinctively rebelled against sin and evil. Far more than we will. He always rebelled against it. And it was put on him. And not only was it put on him, willingly he allowed it to be put on him. That's why he even lived. And on the cross, he is in submission to the Father's will and love for us. He took on himself all the sins of the world of everyone that would be saved. Not just the physical pain, but all the sins. We feel anguish for some of our sins that we do. All of the sins of the world, of every person that will ever be saved, was put on him in these moments. And you can just imagine the inner turmoil and anguish as he feels, the deep revulsion at the center of his being, that he is feeling all this. Everything that he hated most deeply was poured out onto him. It was never an easy thing for Christ to go to the cross. A couple verses, Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He, uh, Isaiah 53, 12. He bore the sins. The, the bearing of sins was a terrible thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. The guilt for our sins, the punishment of our sin was thought of by God as belonging to Christ now instead of us. So that's two things that he's gone through. The physical pain that he did, but also the bearing of the sins. And this is important. John Piper talks about um, in one of his books about this bearing of sin. It's not just that the, the balances had to be kind of, uh, the, the record of sin kind of had to be balanced, but instead the record of sin against us had to be canceled. This is what he says. There is no salvation for man by balancing records. There is only salvation by canceling records. The record of our sins, include, including even good deeds that we do out of bad motives, along with the just penalty that each one has deserved, had to be blotted out, not balanced. This is why Christ suffered and died to accomplish. He did not run away. He did not run away from this, but willingly dealt with our sin problem for us. His bearing our sin and canceling the record of sin that stood against us. So the first way he took our place is by taking our physical pain. The second place, the second way he took our place was by all of our sin. Every single one of us. It was put on him. And the, the, you can just imagine the revulsion. Now again, I said this. Those of you that are in Christ, this might be, this might be review for you. This might be things you've heard. But these things should be absolutely 
penetrating down into our core, stirring up such affections that all we want to do is say, I want to live for Christ now. I can't imagine someone that would do this for me. He did not run, but dealt with our sin problem for us. That is unbelievable great love. The third thing, now here's the thing. The third way in which he um, took our place was that he was actually abandoned by the Father on the cross. The physical pain and the pain of taking all the evil was enhanced tremendously as he was on the cross by the fact that Jesus had to face all of this pain alone. He had to face all of it completely alone. All of his friends had deserted him. He was sorrowful as even to death, it says. Peter had denied him. The disciples were scared and didn't come come close for fear of his life. Rejection is something that we've all experienced before in our life. We can, we can kind of understand how that feels. But here, it's something we're familiar with. But here, in, on the cross, it carries a very penetrating, deep sting. Because not only um, were his friends abandoning him, the inward ache of rejection would be something that Christ would have to feel because his heavenly Father also forsook him. He was abandoned on the cross by even his own father because he took on sin and God can't look on sin. He would experience this on the cross without all of his friends or his heavenly father. Worse than the desertion of any close human friend was that his deepest joy of his heart was taken away for him, for us. He did it for us. And we hear him on the cross in these moments where he starts feeling forsaken by the Father say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthane, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling the abandonment in these moments on the cross. Up until this time, we need to understand what's going on here. Up until this time, for all eternity past, forever, Jesus had only experienced um, God the Father as his unfailing, unfailing source of strength and his unfailing source of joy. And in this moment, in this moment, this was gone. There had never been a time where Jesus had not known perfect communion with the Father. But in this moment, this was a real experience for Jesus, the man 2,000 years ago, On the cross, he felt real abandonment from his heavenly father whenever he was forsaken by God the Father. All of eternity past had been perfect relationship and it ended for that moment while he was on the cross. Of course, we know that he experiences it now. But he did that. Christ did that for you and for me. That is amazing love that he would... For those moments, not experience perfect relationship. And that's how I know that Christ wants you, if you don't know him, to put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins today. He would be willing to go through even that. That is great reason to know. He did not run from the weight of guilt of millions of sins, but instead He did not run, but instead dealt with our sin problem for us. Now, here's the fourth thing. And this is. This is amazing. This might be, and I think it is 
the heaviest of all of it. Not only did he deal with the physical pain for us, not only did he bear the weight of sin for us, not only did he feel the weight of the abandonment of the Father, but also he felt something else from the Father. Literally, the other way he took our place is he bore the wrath of the anger of the Lord God, his Father, for sin. He took our place. Sin had to be dealt with. Anger had to be poured out. Whenever we sin, God is angry at sin. This is the only right response from a holy God is anger at sin. And God had been storing up all of this anger and it had to be poured out. If he didn't pour it out, then he's not just. More difficult than all the previous three was the bearing of the wrath. The father poured out on Jesus, the son, the full fury of his wrath on the cross Jesus became the object of intense hatred of sin. All of the punishment of sin, which was from God the Father, had been patiently storing up since the beginning of the world. Ever since man started sinning, God's wrath was building up. And you can just imagine all the sin of the world. The fury of God's wrath had been building up. Romans 3.25 says it this way. Romans 3 says that Jesus states that he was put forward by God as a propitiation. This is what that means. And listen, this is a huge kind of big $10 seminary word, but you, you've got to understand propitiation. This is simply what it means. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. So all the fury of God's wrath started being put forward on someone and, and Jesus is bearing all of this wrath all the way to the end. There was a lot of wrath built up for our sin. But... In so doing, as he's bearing all of this wrath that was for you and for me, as he's bearing all of this wrath, in so doing, it changes God's wrath towards us into favor. That's what propitiation is. This is absolutely amazing. All the wrath that was being poured out had to be poured out. And as all of it's being put on Jesus, for us, we're the ones that should have received it. As it's being poured out on Jesus, it changes it for us, where we should have received it into favor now. Everybody that is in Christ is in full, 100% favor. As, as fully as all the wraths was poured out on Jesus now is fully that all of the favor of God will be poured out onto those who are in Christ forever. Because he poured out all of his wrath always for sin on Jesus. Now, every single one of us lives in, who are in Christ, lives in forever the full favor of God and that will never change that is absolutely amazingly good news if you're in Christ you are always going to have full 100% favor so that's how I can say with absolute certainty if you're not in Christ he wants you to be saved today he wants to have favor towards you because as he looks at you all he'll see is a son all of the wrath was put on his son for you now you can live in complete forgiveness of sin never feeling guilty anymore because all of it was put on christ and you are now in 100 percent favor with god at the cross all of the full fury was unleashed on his son and now we understand why jesus screams my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he feels this wrath for us. To, listen, to bear the guilt of millions of sins for even just a moment would cause the greatest anguish of, soul, of our souls. But for Christ, 
His suffering wasn't just for a minute or two. It was more wrath, more weight of sin poured out onto him, wave after wave, for hours until the full weight of wrath was poured out on him. And then finally, after hours of taking it all on, he says, It is finished. It is finished. And for us now, that means favor, forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And then, this is what's amazing. After all the wrath of God had been poured out on him, and the payment for sin had been made, Jesus, at that moment, is whenever he said, now I choose to die. He said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up. He didn't just die, die like we die. In that moment, it actually says in John 19.30 that he willingly gave up his spirit. He had taken on everything of all the sin and all the wrath of God. And in that moment, he says, it is finished. And now he literally, in that moment, chooses, I will die now. And he dies on his own accord, of his own spirit. He willingly gives up his, his spirit. He voluntarily died right there. Isaiah 15, 53, 12. He poured out his own soul to death and bore the soul, the sins of many. Jesus did not run away from sin. Our first inclination is to run away with the, run away from the problem. I don't want to deal with it. It's, it's nasty and it makes me feel bad and it reminds me of who I am. That is his, not his inclination. But instead, his inclination is to go towards it and deal with it for us on our behalf. Can you see just how amazing that love is for you? That he would do that. Jesus took our place and he alone was uniquely sent by God to be the only one who could make the divine payment and be the divine payment. That's unbelievably beautiful. Okay. So now that we have that established, the whole Proof that Christ wants you to be forgiven today for your sin. What's the deal with the resurrection? He dies. The payment's made. What's the point of coming back to life? And listen, here's something. Jesus brought other people back to life, right? He, he brought Lazarus back to life. He, Paul brought Eutychus back to life. I mean, people got brought back to life. What's the difference? They died again. That's the difference. They died they can, oh yeah, I remember that. I, that happened 10 years ago. Here it comes again. And they, they, they go, they're dead for, they're dead again. But Jesus, when he was brought back to life, never will die again. Jesus will be 100% human forever in heaven when we get there and he will never die again. That's why his resurrection is so unique compared to any other resurrection. He will never die again. So what's the big deal then about this resurrection? Why is it such an important thing? Well, we read it as we looked um, before we began some worship. And let me just kind of walk through just a couple things and I want to explain it to you. They found him on the first day of the week at early dawn. They went to the tomb. They took the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away. But when they went in, they didn't find the body. You can imagine. Where's the body? Everybody that dies, their body's not supposed to move again. Where's his body? They just imagine first somebody took it. That's the only thing we can come up with. Because dead people don't move. And when they do, it's a little freaky, right? But they don't. Um, 
And so they just automatically think, well, somebody has, has to have taken it then. And it says they're perplexed, obviously, because they're thinking somebody's stolen their Lord's body whom they love and they wanted to pay respects for. And it says that they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground as they saw these men in dazzling apparel. And the men said to them, this is such an awesome thing in verse number five, and I'm in Luke 24. It says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for someone that's supposedly dead? He's alive. You should be seeking for someone that's alive. This is where dead people are. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. That's a great question. And And he says, he is not here, but has risen forever. Remember how he told you whenever he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, here it is, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and then on the third day, rise. So what's so important then about this resurrection? Here's what's important about the resurrection. Romans 6, 4 says it for it this way. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So his death is important because we have to say that we have to die as well. And then it says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. So that phrase is important. We have to understand that the resurrection is important is important because just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. The resurrection is important because spiritually, whenever physically Jesus rose, that is what happens for us spiritually. We were dead spiritually. And since Christ has raised from the dead, whenever we put our faith in him and we are forgiven for all of our sins, physically um, he was raised. Spiritually, now we were dead and now we're alive forever. Jesus will never die again. And when we were raised spiritually, we will never die That's why the resurrection is so important. So that what's going on physically before our eyes with Jesus is what's true spiritually of every single person that's in Christ. That's why. He had to show us what it means to be resurrected. Now that we're resurrected, 1 Corinthians 15 says that it proves that our faith has meaning. Since the resurrection has happened, your faith has purpose and meaning now. We're not in our sins anymore. Everyone that has ever died has been given eternal life because of the resurrection. And most importantly, it tells us that our lives for Jesus, whenever we come to faith in him, are not a waste. They they were outside of Christ, but inside of Christ now, your life is never a waste. It has meaning. We are not to be pitied up most among men, but instead, as 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, we are steadfast now whenever we're in Christ. We are to abound. And this is for those that are believers. This is what the resurrection means to you that are believers. What's the point of the resurrection for me as a believer? This is the point. Now we can be steadfast. We can, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We can abound in the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. The resurrection is the absolute exclamation point in history that says everything you do now for Christ has meaning. Be steadfast. Go and do the work of the Lord based on the resurrection. You can go do everything you want for Christ now. And it all has meaning. That's how gloriously beautiful and important the resurrection is for you. The resurrection of Christ and Christ taking our place on the cross demands response. 
for every person that hears the message, this good news, or it's known as gospel, just means good news. Every person that hears it, it demands in the heart of every person a response. You cannot not respond. You must respond. It demands response by us. Jesus wants you, if you don't know Him, to put your faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sin. And for those of you that do know Him, it demands response. Jesus wants you now to go and abound in the work of the Lord and be steadfast in your labor for Him. So where are you this morning? It demands response right now today. It demands. Where are you? If you don't know Christ, I want you to hear me. If you do not know Christ this morning, if you are absolutely aware that I am not a believer, I will not receive eternal um, forgiveness. I will not be in heaven. It, it demands that you make a response today. Because here's the thing. Jesus wants you to be forgiven of your sin today. He wants you to experience full favor for the rest of your life with God. And if you are a believer, Jesus wants you to experience full-on work for Him, abounding in Him, and your labor will not be in vain for the rest of your life. Where are you right now? Don't walk away from this moment and say, I can deal with that later. Right now, where are you? Will you recognize, along with me, that we all need Christ? Right now in this moment. Will you recognize that you can be forgiven by God because you have offended Him with your sin, but He has taken care of all of it by putting forward His sin, His Son for us as sin? There's no middle ground. Will you believe in Him and repent from your sins today? And for those of you that are in Christ, will you say, today's the day and forevermore I will abound in the work of the Lord. The resurrection is the key and the starting point that ensures that my labor is not in vain. Everything that's done for Christ matters and that's all I want to do now. The resurrection has shown us that He took our physical pain, He took our sin, He took the abandonment that was due for us, and he took the full fury of the wrath of God. If you need more evidence that Christ is for you and that he loves you, that's it. You, there's nothing else. Jesus loves you. And he's demanding response. Demanding in a very loving, kind, grace-filled He wants you to know Him. So we're going to respond now. We're all going to be given the opportunity to respond right now. This is the day for you to be saved. Today. And start living life to the full. Start experiencing the full favor of God for the rest of your life. Let's all stand. I want to take away every barrier that you might be throwing up. Every barrier that you might be legitimizing in your mind right now. 
today is the day for your salvation. Christ Jesus did not run to take care of our sin problem. He willingly went to the cross for you. And because of that, you can, with full courage in the Lord, put your faith in Him right now. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to encourage you to respond. To respond. By walking just to the back of the room as we worship together and talking. There will be some people back there that want to talk with you. They want to pray with you. They want to hear what's going on. They want to know that you responded in Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm imploring you for the love of Christ. Don't be nervous and scared. Jesus didn't run away. And you can be like Christ and be forgiven today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. The resurrection that ensures eternal life for us all. What a precious gift that we can get together and celebrate today. We can celebrate that you are risen and that you reign. And for every person here right now, every person here, if you know that you're not a believer and you've heard these things that Christ has done for you, you've heard how he took the physical pain, the sin, the abandonment and the wrath of God for you on your behalf. If you heard that and you say, yes, I want to be forgiven. Yes, I want to be a Christian and live in the full favor of God now forever. If you want that, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me right now. Say these words in your mind. I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. I ask forgiveness today of my sin. I want to trust Christ today. I do. I trust Christ. And I follow you, God, forever. I follow you today. Amen. If you trusted Christ right now, I ask that you be bold right now and just walk back to the back. There's people back there that want to talk with you. As we're singing, we're going to be singing for three songs. Any time during that, I want you to walk back there and tell them, be bold here. Christ did not run and you do not need to run. If you want to make a public profession by baptism, then we want to invite you to do that. You also can walk back there and say, I want to be baptized. We're going to baptize people in one month on May the 6th. And we want to publicly baptize you here in this church where you can say, I want to be baptized for Christ. Walk back there. Tell us and let's get you on there so that you can make a public profession of faith that you want to be baptized. If you pray with me right now, don't be shy. Jesus died so that you can be bold right in here as a Christian. Find the volunteers and those of you that are believers, those of you that are believers, and say that today's the day that I will live on knowing that my labor is not in vain. This is what we're going to do. This is going to be your, your starting point of worship. We're going to worship now for a while, just extending back to Christ all the glory that's due His name. Let's sing out to the, to the angels in the skies all the worship and all the glory that's due to Christ. And in these moments, we have some songs where you can do that if you're a believer. And if you have put your faith in Christ this morning, come back to the back. I'll be back there. We want to hear from you. We want to know that you put your faith in Christ this morning. We have been praying for you for a long time. So here's your moments. Christians, let's worship our King.